alcohol and uh, oh things that come to mind. Not a whole lot, no. Uh, Polish sausages? No, I don't know anything about that country. <laughs> Pierogies? Is that it? We hope it's not. That's what we're going to try to show you. Podcast, Paul and all that jazz. Hello, I'm Małgorzata Bonikowska. And I'm Tomek Kniat. Welcome to the 27th episode of Podcast. In this episode, we will tell you about a three language play based on the poetry of Polish Nobel Prize laureate Wisława Szymborska, premiering in Toronto. About the only Polish military cemetery in North America and about a musician's fascination with Polish Renaissance and Baroque music. Smachnego! We're here talking about our love for eating Polish. My name is Peter. And my name's Laura. And we wrote two Heritage Polish cookbooks, called Classic Polish Recipes and Classic Polish Desserts, where all the recipes have been handed down from previous generations. But updated for modern kitchens, so no more pinch of this or glass of that. It's apple season. Our six-year-old granddaughter Lucy loves to visit nearby apple orchards for the apple picking, the cool and tangy fresh cider, caramel apples on a stick, oh yum, and jars of super fresh apple butter. The bees or wasps that hang around the cider pressing hut are a bother, but the payoff in your mouth is tremendous. The idea of fresh pies covered with a custard allegedly originated in Switzerland. It's long been a favorite Sunday treat for European families everywhere, including Poland, because it's not too sweet, not overly heavy, but healthful and nourishing. This pie is super easy to prepare, which is great news if you don't have a lot of pie experience. The crust is just some flour, sugar, butter, and an egg, blended well, rolled out, and placed in an eight or nine inch pie pan. Or you can take the easy road and pick up a pre-made pie crust in the refrigerator case of most good grocery stores. I use them myself when I'm pressed for time, and they're really not that bad. The filling is just as easy. Peel and slice three semi-tart apples and arrange them loosely in a pie pan, enough to fill at least half the pan. The custard is just some milk, an egg, sugar, cream, and mixed in your blender and poured over the apples. Bake at 350 for 40 minutes or until the apples are just soft but not mushy. If you're feeling decorative, create a topping on your pie. Serve while warm and watch your guest or family make the whole pie disappear. It's Polish magic. The full recipe for this apple custard pie and information about our heritage cookbooks is on our website, www.polishclassiccooking.com. Just scroll down to the article posted on September 28, 16. Smacznego! Theatre can and does extend its boundaries when it blends languages, combines words with movement and visual arts. This is what happens in a new play staged by Open Heart Surgery Theatre, 
an international theatre ensemble based in Toronto and the UK, interested in intercultural work. For the first time, the theatre company produced a play inspired by poetry. It was the poetry, but also collages, by Nobel Prize-winning Polish poet Wisława Szymborska. I'm talking to Canadian-born writer, actor and theatre director Colleen McPherson, who directed this play titled This Is Why We Live. You have been involved in a project that is related directly to Poland because it is about Szymborska. How did you come across Szymborska's poetry? You know what? It's a funny story because I originally wanted to do a play based on surrealist women. And I was doing all sorts of research and I came across her collage work. And I was looking at her collages and then I was like, oh! This is a poet I had never heard of. I had studied literature in Toronto, uh, and then I just kind of ordered her poems and started to read them, and I fell in love with her poems. Uh, the kind of conversational tone, the accessibility, the the topics that she accesses in her work. But then I read Starvation Camp in Yaslo, and I, I was very moved by that poem, and I thought, what if what if we staged her poems? What would that look like? And then I also went to Krakow in 2014. I had never been to Poland before, and I fell in love with Krakow. And there was two exhibits uh, happening of her work. It was Jimborska's Drawer, and at the Mokak, um, her collages were on display. It was after that time, too, and I was reading her poetry at that time. And, yeah, just really connecting to her her view of the world, her vision and her sense of irony in her work as well. I began reading her. Um, and as somebody who really loves poetry, I was amazed that I had never heard of her because she won a Nobel Prize. She, Yeah, it was quite a, quite a unique discovery. When you presented the idea of working on Szymborski to the actors of the Open Heart Surgery Theatre, how did they react? We we all met at a school in France. We do physical theatre, so we look at the body, we look at movement, we look at words in relationship to space, and it's very much about working in a collective and collaborative manner. So when I brought this idea to them, they were excited and completely open to exploring this poet began in 2014. Over two years, it's been a process of us really connecting to this poet and as a woman, and it's all women that work on this project as well. It's been sort of us sitting down, reading her poems, reading the translations in French and then in English, and then also connecting with Polish speakers to be able to really understand the work in its native tongue. The actors that I'm working with, it's it's not like I presented them a play. I didn't write the play and then give it to them. We've been sitting down collaboratively thinking, how do we stage these images in her work? How do we access her unique vision, her irony, her juxtaposition? the lightness that's inherent in the kind of darker material. That's so really going deep into kind of exploring her as a poet and as a very strong voice. It's been quite an interesting ride because it's also been the first project of this company that, you know, has staged poetry. We've never actually done that before, so it's been quite an exploration. And it says blending three languages. Uh, English, French, and Polish. So our work is there's two actors and a cellist. Uh, the cellist is Dubrovna Zubek, uh, she's Polish, and then Elaine Hutton, she's Canadian, and Elodie Monteau, and she's from France. So it very much is a blending of all of our, our all of our cultures, really. We always wanted to kind of experiment with, can we have three languages in a play without having to have sub- subtitles, that the languages kind of become part of, 
you know, an emotional architecture of the piece or, uh, connect to you in a different way that you don't have to understand linguistically fully, but you understand emotionally. So it's quite challenging because obviously poems, you think of poems as just words, but words in motion. And I mean, I'm interested to see how people take it because I mean, it's premiering here in Toronto. So I'm interested to see people's reactions to the three languages in the play. Obviously this, this play is a little bit more in English for our English audiences uh, than when it was in France. It was more in French. Did your visit to Poland make you understand Szymborska's poetry in better? Yes, I think I think it did. Well, I guess my visit to Poland and probably also exploring this project, connecting to other Polish people in Toronto as well, um, has opened up my eyes to her her work. But her work also is very universal. So there's something quite powerful that like it's very grounded in a place but it also reaches so many different topics that you know is very it's very human a lot of her exploration um, about the connection with nature for example or existence or a lot of broader topics going to Poland was amazing it was just a lot of the colors and the textures of Poland like in Krakow we've taken a lot of pictures of buildings and tried to kind of find those colors and textures to bring them into the play itself as well. Fabric of like the city where Poland definitely is, you know, a very, it has a strong influence obviously on her work being um, Polish. So the title, of, the title of the play is This is Why We Live. Yeah. So why do we live? That's a very good question. She, she would say the idea of having an answer is kind of so rigid. Um, it's, it's when you ask, ask a question and say, I don't know, is where you find truth. And I feel like this is why we live. Yes, it's a statement, but the play itself is it's sort of a statement of uh, existence and the questions that we have surrounding it. It's interesting because the play itself doesn't kind of follow characters, right? It's not like characters say those lines in the play at all. It's much more uh, a kind of a journey like a poem, um, a journey of emotion. If anybody asked you to, somebody that doesn't know her poetry, if somebody asked yeah. you, Colleen, tell me about Szymborska, what would you say? I would say that she is somebody who sees in a very unique way the things that maybe we don't have time to see or that we don't have the ability to see. Um, I think really good poets do that. She's somebody that sees the irony or the, the, you know, the kind of that the world, even though there's so much horror sometimes and tragedy, that within that we can still sort of see a lightness and a hope and a wonder. And especially this idea of like astonishment. I think sometimes I feel like there, there was a time when I was a child where I really felt like connected to things like nature. And I, I was very inquisitive and open and I feel like her poetry is always and I think herself as a woman um, was always trying to grasp that or, or sort of reconnect to that childlike wonder and also just a, she's she's a very very perceptive very able to see beneath the cracks of things yeah and I also think as a, she was very quirky and she has so much humor like that her collages are just incredibly funny. A lot of her poems are hilarious and we're bringing a lot of humor into the work as well. So I think she, it would it would be amazing to have met her. But this is a mission of your company generally, right? This intercultural theater. Which What path would you like to go next? Well, I'm, I have a play actually that I'm working on right now that I wrote and is going to Cairo in 
in November. So that's going to be exciting to kind of work uh, on a piece that touches on sort of um, Egyptian politics a little bit, but in a in a sort of uh, almost like a poetic, almost universal way, and then bringing it to in, in Arabic and in English. I think it was Peter Brook that had said, like, when you bring people from all different walks of life and different cultures and different backgrounds, that something really powerful can happen. And I think there that the school that I went to, Ecole Jacques Lecoq in Paris, was very much about that because people came from all different backgrounds and you worked in creating image and theater and communicating an idea or a feeling or a story. And it became very powerful. It became very universal. And I feel like theater, theater access has the ability to do that. To give you an example of Szymborska's wonderful work, here is one of her poems, Possibilities. I prefer cats. I prefer the oaks along the Warta. I prefer Dickens to Dostoevsky. I prefer myself liking people to myself loving mankind. I prefer keeping a needle and thread on hand just in case. I prefer the color green. I prefer not to maintain that reason is to blame for everything. I prefer exceptions. I prefer to leave early. I prefer talking to doctors about something else. I prefer the old, fine-lined illustrations. I prefer the absurdity of writing poems to the absurdity of not writing poems. I prefer, where love's concerned, non-specific anniversaries that can be celebrated every day. I prefer moralists who promise me nothing. I prefer cunning kindness to the overtrustful kind. I prefer the earth in cities. I prefer conquered to conquering countries. I prefer having some reservations. I prefer the hell of chaos to the hell of order. I prefer Grimm's fairy tales to the newspaper's front pages. I prefer leaves without flowers to flowers without leaves. I prefer dogs with uncropped tails. I prefer light eyes since mine are dark. I prefer desk drawers. I prefer many things that I haven't mentioned here to many things I've also left unsaid. I prefer zeros on the loose to those lined up behind a cipher. I prefer the time of insects to the time of stars. I prefer to knock on wood. I prefer not to ask how much longer and when. I prefer keeping in mind even the possibility that existence has its own reason for being. To learn more about poet Wisława Szymborska, Open Heart Surgery Theater, a display This Is Why We Live, or to share your comments, please visit our website mypodcast.com. Do you know that there is only one Polish military cemetery in North America? It's located in Canada. In Niagara-on-the-Lake, one of the most picturesque towns in Ontario, its first capital. During World War I, it was in Niagara-on-the-Lake that a training camp was set up for over 22,000 Polish volunteers from Canada and the U.S. 
It was called the soldiers traveled from the U.S. and Canada to Niagara on the Lake to train for an independent Polish army during the First World War. Poland didn't even exist at that time, having been occupied for 123 years by Russia, Prussia and Austria. And at the same time, a few dozen Polish officers underwent secret military training at the In University In 1918, the Spanish influenza hit the Kościuszko camp, killing 41 Poles. 25 of them were buried in Niagara-on-the-Lake. Now the Polish military cemetery in Niagara-on-the-Lake is a place honored by the Polish community in Canada and the US and Poland. As to the rest of the so-called Blue Hallers Army, it became famous for its heroism in World War I. Of over 22,000 who trained in Niagara on the Lake, only 150 soldiers were killed overseas and fewer than 1,000 were wounded. In the times of omnipresent noise and loud music, some people love to escape to soft, delicate sounds of the music from centuries ago. Magdalena Tomszynska, a musician from Ontario, has been playing the lute and recording her music. The lute is a string instrument used in a variety of instrumental music from the medieval to the late Baroque eras, the most important instrument for secular Renaissance music. Magdalena has been fascinated by Polish lute music and her research has helped to shed light on a good portion of this music whose origins had been unknown before. They have always been interested in old music. This is where Renaissance and Baroque, so we're going back centuries. Why? When I was at uh, high school, when I played guitar, classical guitar, I also played pieces from the Renaissance and Baroque period, as everyone else. And I really like those pieces the most, so I wanted to play those more and more, that kind of music. But in Poland that time, there was no lute at university, so I studied classical guitar. I got my master's degree in classical guitar. And then in Krakow, there was a lute class. So after university, I worked one year. I, I, I bought my first lute, and, and then I, I studied again the, the, at university. It's, uh, I liked really the music, but also the sound. It's so charming. So it's it's very soft. It's completely different just than this what we have today all around us, which is quite loud. Uh, but guitar too, and, and lute even more. They are very soft instrument, and I was always attracted to that, that the sound. It's really charming and a soft sound. Is that a popular instrument? It's not. Plus, uh, to get a lute, it costs a lot of money. So if someone starts to play the instrument, usually parents will not spend four or $5,000 for just an instrument which a child might not like after 
uh, a year. I, I'm not talking about Renaissance lute, which is uh, uh, rather cheaper than other kind of lutes. What are the other? Because there are really different kind of lutes. Like 16th century lute is different than early 17th century lute, and then later 17th century is different. The one you showed me, you showed me a huge instrument. I mean, people will, the people who are listening to our podcast will not be able to see it. They can actually see it online. It's called Theorbo. Uh, Theorbo, it's uh, it's Baroque instrument, early Baroque, and it's much bigger than the Renaissance lute. It's different tuning and was it was used for different purposes. Like a Renaissance lute, it was for accompaniment, for playing solo. The Theorbo, it's mostly for accompaniment and it started as accompaniment for the singers in Italy early 17th century. Let's talk about your research. You've done something very, very interesting. You have discovered and, and described something that was hidden for a long time. Even when I was studying uh, guitar, I played some pieces from uh, so-called Gdańsk lute, Gdańsk lute tablature. Well, tablature is a special notation for a lute, not only lute, but we are talking about the lute. And it was only 40 dances by then. That's how many we, we knew. And the rest was was said that there was more, but it was lost during the Second War. When I was in Canada, one of my colleagues from Poland told me that this tablature was uh, rediscovered and was found in Berlin. So apparently this tablature was hidden after the Second War by uh, communists. I don't know for what reason and was rediscovered in the 90s. So I started to, to play pieces from that tablature. And there was, sometimes there are titles, but there are very little, and there are no composers, uh, or very little composers. So I, I played something, and I had no idea what I'm playing, what kind of dance, what is the music, uh, what century, who wrote that, nothing. So I asked uh, Agnieszka Leszczyńska, who is musical, uh, musicologist, just uh, in Warsaw, and she is making research of the north of Poland, so I thought, well, Gdańsk tablature would be perfect. So I asked her if she knows if there is some information about that. She told me, but as far as she knows, nothing uh, it's known about that tablature. So I started, because I played that, I started to compare that pieces which I played with other pieces from other tablatures from, I thought, maybe similar time. Uh, it took me, I think, maybe two years to redo it. And uh, Agnieszka Leszczyńska, that uh, musicologist, uh, she really helped me a lot. And she told me that it's uh, that it's important and I should keep doing that. So finally, I, I did that. I compared, I don't know, more than 100 probably tablatures with this uh, tablature from Gdańsk. And then I wrote the article, so so first in Polish, published in Poland, and then was published uh, in English uh, in Germany. Why is it so important? We, we don't have so much music in uh, from from uh, past. It, it's really, I think, important because that's opened our eyes what kind of music in Gdańsk specifically was played at that time. And uh, it's it's around 1620, as I estimated uh, when, when the tablature was written. It's a lot of Polish music there. Polish melodies and dances, but also there's a lot of music from all parts of Europe. Hungarian dances, some Russian, uh, a lot of English, 
Italian, German. Uh, so it, from that point of view, looks that Poland, specifically Gdańsk, was like uh, in the center of Europe because there was so many music from all around. So uh, I felt kind of proud. So if we said, you know, you were invited to a concert, you can only play one piece, what would it be? I don't know, probably one of the Polish dances. Uh, they are all called Balletti Polacki, probably one of those dances. Or maybe a piece which is called Duda, uh, which imitates uh, Dudy. Yeah, which we talked about in our podcast. It, it, it's a fun piece too. You have recorded a number of CDs, especially the last one is very interesting. On the last one there are pieces from Gdańsk Lutthavlater. And before that, with the, with the Greensleeve concert, I played in the concert called Greensleeves, uh, we recorded pieces from another uh, manuscript which is in Poland. I didn't do any research on, on the other one, but the music was, uh, it's they're very interesting and it's written for just uh, two voices. So it required a lot of arrangements. So we did a lot of arrangements in that. And it, it's, again, Polish source, a lot of fun. And some of those pieces were also first time uh, recorded. And I found that that is a great responsibility. Imagine that you are recording pieces which nobody recorded before you. So you have really no idea what about the tempo or is it beautiful only for me or other people would also enjoy that I, am i doing the right thing or am i crazy and what's your conclusion and what, what was the reaction to your cd very positive comment very good reviews like in the wood uh, loot world i think I, i'm i'm well known now uh, just because of that CD. I'm kind of like an expert now on uh, uh, this uh, tablet. So it was uh, worth it. Is it taught in uh, musical academies or music schools, the lute? Is it taught here, for example, in Canada at all? Yeah, in, in Montreal and here when I live in Waterloo. In the whole world, there's like lute network uh, and people who are passionate about uh, early music and lute specifically. Lute goes so nicely with the voice and there's so much repertoire with the, the voice. It's just gorgeous music. I'm lucky to, to, to work with wonderful singers. <laughs> Magdalena Tomczyńska's work as well as early Polish music, or to share your comments, please visit our website at mypolcast.com. In the last episode we played this sound, wondering if you can guess what it is and where in Poland you can hear it. Normally, when we hear a singing bird, we think about hot summer days. But the one you just heard is associated with winter. Ziemba, the finch, is one of very few singing birds spending their winters in Poland, where winters are pretty cold. 
Actually, these birds part for the winter season, and where they spend their winters depends on their sex. Male birds spend their winter at home, while females fly away to warmer climates. Maybe this is why in the spring the male call can be heard even 2,000 times in one day. Some ornithologists consider Ziemba, the finch, the most popular bird in Poland. It's time for our next sound from Poland. Here it is. Listen, think, guess. Where do you need to be in Poland in order to hear this sound? And what is it? You've been listening to the 27th episode of Polcast. Polcast is created, recorded and produced in Toronto by Małgorzata Bonikowska and Tomek Kniat. For full-length interviews, visuals and a lot of additional information, please visit our website at mypolcast.com. We are always curious about your reactions, comments and suggestions, also ideas for new stories. Please share them on our website, mypolcast.com. And we'll leave you with more music by Magdalena Tomsińska.